Okay, uh, just like to welcome everyone here this morning. Thank you for coming and, and worshiping together as a body. The man I'd like to talk about this morning, he had every opportunity to seek first the kingdom of God, like the verse that we've been talking about this morning, but he chose not to. He chose to betray Jesus. He chose to just reject Jesus. I think you probably maybe have guessed by now, Judas Iscariot. So uh, my purpose in talking about Judas Iscariot this morning is kind of twofold. With our church anticipating two ordinations in the coming months, I'd like to look at how the early church replaced Judas, as well as Judas Iscariot's life in general, to learn about the man, Judas, and how he chose to follow the wrong path. So let's not forget that Judas was, he was hand-chosen by Jesus to be a disciple. You don't have to turn there, but in Mark 3, verse 14 to 15, it says, and this is talking about Jesus, and he ordained 12 that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out devils. And then it goes on to give the list, and I'll refer to that later on, but uh, Jesus hand-chose these 12 disciples. They were ordained by him. They cast out devils. They preached, and Jesus knew that, Jesus, that Judas could do the job that was in front of him, yet Judas chose not to do it. Instead, Judas lived a life, a double life, as a disciple and also as a thief. And he's forever known as the man that betrayed the Son of God. It's a title that I don't think any of us would like to have. But lest we uh, confuse him with others in the Bible, because there were at least three or five other men in the Bible that had the name in the New, well, I say in the Bible, in the New Testament that's recorded that had the name Judas. There was Judas, the son of Mary and Joseph, the brother of Jesus that was mentioned in Matthew 13, 55. And this Judas actually may have been one of the 12 disciples, one of, yeah, he, he may, might have been one of the 12 disciples, this, this Judas that was uh, the brother of Jesus, and I'll, I'll get to that eventually. Because there was another one of the, the 12 disciples whose name was also Judas. I don't know if you're aware of that, but he's sometimes referred to as Thaddeus. There was two, Judas, two disciples that were named Judas. You had Judas Iscariot, and then you also had another Judas that was named Thaddeus. So have you ever wondered, as you read the story of the Last Supper in John 13, how Judas asked Jesus a question when later on in the story it says that he had already left to betray, to betray Jesus. So I'd like to kind of look, at, we'll start there if you want to turn to John 13. And I'm going to pick up the story there in verse 26. John 13, uh, verse 26. Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Then if I jump down to verse 30, it says, and then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Therefore, when he was going out, now I'll leave it at that for now. Um, so J 
just want to clarify that Judas, he left immediately after Ju Jesus had given him the sop. So it was after that Judas had left that Jesus began to uh, talk and he began to answer questions. First, Peter had a question in verse 36. And then if you go on to chapter 14, Thomas had a question in verse 5. And then Philip had a question in verse 8. And finally, Judas had one in verse 22, which I'll read then. And Jesus, Jesus answered and said, or, and Judas saith unto him, okay, and, and it's clarifying that it wasn't Iscariot. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? And then it goes, Jesus answers him then. And then Jesus speaks for quite a while uh, to his 11 disciples. And then I'm going to pick up in chapter 18 and read the next five verses there. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Cedron, where was a garden, into which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oftentimes resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. <clears throat> So, Judas Iscariot was not present when he went with the 11 disciples, uh, with the other disciples in this teaching by, uh, let's see, uh, so who was, who was this other Judas? As I said earlier, this Judas was a disciple that, we also, that, that was also known as Thaddeus. In the list of 12 disciples in Mark 3, verse 16 to 19, there's a Thaddeus mention. But when we read the list given in Matthew 10, verse 2 to 4, in verse 3 we come to the 10th disciple where it says, Labius, whose surname was Thaddeus. And still there's no mention of this Judas this uh, second disciple that was also named Judas, there's, there's no mention of this other Judas. So when I looked up Labius in the Bible dictionary, it says that Labius was a surname of Judas. So the, these surnames can be a little confusing to us that are you know, not really familiar with the Jewish culture. And the best way I can explain a surname with, from our culture is that it's similar to like a nickname or, or the last name that identifies who you are, this uh, Labius, whose surname was Judas. And then we also have the list of disciples in Luke chapter 6, verses 14 to 16. It gives a, a little bit more clarity by saying in verse 16, and Judas, the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor, so we have two Judases mentioned there in uh, Luke 6, Judas, the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was a traitor. So now we know that this second Judas was also 
He, he was known as Labius with a surname of Thaddeus and that he was the brother of James, the, the second uh, Judas. And if you refer back to the list of Jesus' brothers in Matthew 13, verse 55, uh, the one, I don't think I read that, but Judas was very likely one and the same. And I think I'll just go ahead and read that now, uh, where it's referring to uh, this brother here, uh, Matthew 13, 55. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brother and James and Hoseas and Simon and Judas? Okay, so this is uh, possibly the same Judas there. But may maybe you don't find names interesting, but to me it's like piecing a puzzle together as I was, as I was looking at this, as, and the Bible comes together. So I'm going to go a little bit farther with this other uh, disciple named Judas and... This other Judas was very likely could have been a half-brother to Jesus himself because of the next of kin and the Jewish espousal laws. Remember the story of Naomi and Ruth and how the next of kin didn't want to marry Ruth so that that then gave Boaz the opportunity to marry Ruth with the next of kin laws and the espousal laws. So John 19.25 mentions the sister of Jesus' mother, who was also named Mary. She was the sister-in-law of Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus. <clears throat> if you look in John 19.25, and, and this Mary was the husband of Cleophas, and Cleophas was, is the Greek name for the Hebrew name Alphaeus. So in Matthew 10.3 of the list of the 12 disciples, there was a James, the son of Alphaeus. And it's supposed that this Alphaeus or Cleophas, whichever one, whichever one you want to call him there, the Greek or the Hebrew name, that he died without an offspring to take on his family name. So then Joseph, as the brother of Alphaeus, was now obligated by, his, by the Jewish espousal laws and the next of kin laws to take his sister-in-law, who was also Mary, and raise up offspring to take on his brother's family line, which would, would have been Alphaeus' uh, family line. So James, the son of Alphaeus, may have possibly been a half-brother to Jesus, actually. And Judas was a, a brother to, to James, we know. So it's a little bit of a bunny trail there, but um, it was kind of interesting to me as I studied that. And I had to think a little bit, but I think it's, it's, it's possible that, that they were half-brothers, actually, to Jesus. But then there's also another, like I said, there's three to five, there's at least three to five men in the New Testament that, that had the name Judas. There was Judas of Galilee in Acts 5.37, who was, he started an insurrection soon after Jesus was born. Then there was another Judas in the early church where Saul stayed when he was still blind and he was waiting on the Lord and Ananias was told to go to the house of Judas, and that's found in Acts 9, verse 11. And then we, the, the fifth Judas mentioned in the New Testament is found in Acts 15, 22. There was a Judas 
surnamed, and there again we have the surname, he was surnamed Bersabbas, not Barabbas, but Barsabbas. Barsabbas uh, was chosen along with Salas to uh, deliver a letter to the Gentile believers. And I had to wonder, is it possible that this Judas was the same Judas where, as the same Judas where Saul stayed when he was on the road to, um, to Damascus when he was blinded? I don't know that, but... <clears throat> But now we come to Judas Iscariot, the, the Judas that I want to spend our, our time on mostly this morning. And the Judas that, you know, he, he's remembered by all. We don't, we don't know a whole lot about these other Judases in the New Testament. But again, we see a surname, Judas Iscariot. Iscariot in Hebrew means a man of Kerioth, which uh, Kerioth was a city in the southern part of Judah. It would be kind of like if we say, uh, maybe Limford of Ottawa, Andrew of Ottawa, or uh, um, Vincent of Athens, uh, you know, something like that. This, this was uh, Judas Iscariot. He was from Kerioth, the southern part of Judah. So as we follow this traitor, as he's known, I'd like for you to kind of have in the back of your mind, what is my commitment to Christ and to the Holy Spirit that lives within me? Am I, truly, am I a truly committed disciple, or am I an uncommitted pretender like Judas was? What are my motives? And maybe you're here this morning and you've uh, never made a commitment to follow Jesus. And I want to assure you that if you haven't made that commitment, that Jesus calls each of us to follow him just as he did his 12 disciples. And he extends forgiveness, he extends hope and eternal life to our repentance when we repent, but the choice still remains ours. So Judas, as a trusted man, he was given the responsibility of being the treasure of this small group of men, these disciples. And I find it interesting that, that even in the early stages of, of the church, Jesus appointed someone to act in a role similar as a deacon. John 12, 6 and John 13, 29 are the main verses that identify Judas Iscariot as the one that carried the money, the money bag, as well as he distributed that money to, to the poor. So when Jesus gave the sop or the piece of bread, I, I believe that sop was probably a piece of bread, he gave that piece of bread to Judas and it says that Satan entered into him. Jesus told him, what thou doest, do quickly. And the other disciples, they were still trusting Judas and his motives. You know, they, they thought his motives were pure. They understood Jesus to be telling Judas to go buy food you know, for them or, or possibly to give something to the poor. Whatever, what, what thou doest, do quickly. And Because evidently that was a, a common occurrence, and we'll look at that in just a little bit, but... I think if the, if the disciples would have been alert, they might have picked up on some signs that something wasn't right with Judas's motives. But you know, you know how it is, when, when you trust someone, you're not looking for wrong motives. And it would have been easy to overlook Judas's actions as you know, just kind of a bad day. Turn to John, and we'll look at one of his bad actions here. John 12, verse uh, 3 to 6. 
Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon, Simon's son, which should betray him. So Judas is saying this, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the bag and bare what was put therein. So Judas was, he was just kind of miffed. He was, he was ticked off that this perfume that was worth a lot of money wasn't given to him so that he could sell it and he could pilfer some money out of the bag for himself. He, he wanted that money for himself, not, not to give to the poor. But why didn't Jesus rebuke him and stop him from stealing in some way, I had to think. And I think it's because Jesus wants us to choose him. And just think how it must have grieved the Lord to know that one of his hand-picked, ordained, chosen disciples was a thief. You know, to others he appeared righteous, and he did the right thing, but inwardly he was, he was depraved and he was lost. John 6, 70 and 71, Jesus did, I think, in fact, voice his grief. He said, have I not chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? I, I, I know it grieved the Lord uh, that Judas was this way. And it ca causes me to stop and ask myself the question, is there some Judas Iscariot in me? Am I only pretending to follow Jesus and living a double standard? Maybe it's going to church just for the status, or it might be for the approval of my family and my friends. But hiding, I'm, I'm hiding my real inward thoughts and my deeds of rebellion, rejection of God, and possibly planning and even doing what I know is sinful. You know, that, that's, that's Judas Iscariot living inside of us with those kind of things. And my mind then went to another disciple, one of also Jesus' chosen 12. He was also a traitor, we could say. He denied Christ, and he betrayed Jesus, and that was Peter. Peter also had a choice to make, and he also grieved our Savior, but the difference was that Peter repented, and it, Scripture says that he wept bitterly for his actions. And I think we can only imagine the feelings that swept through Peter after Jesus had, think about how, you know, Peter had denied him, you know, he went off and wept bitterly, and uh, Jesus had resurrected from the dead, and then there was a time period from the time that Jesus had resurrected and then, or from the, from the time that he had denied Christ, you know, he was in the grave, he resurrected, and, there, and then there was a time period, and it says that um, Peter was out in the boat, he was fishing with some of the other disciples, and they saw a fire on the seashore there. A man was, built, he, was he was grilling some fish on the seashore, and there was some bread there, and the man... Uh, invited, he hollered out, come and dine. And when Peter, Peter recognized Jesus then, and, but I had to think, you know, 
after Peter had betrayed Jesus at the temple court, and Jesus had asked him, you know, Peter had betrayed him there, and then after Peter had sat down, he, he, he came and dined with Jesus on the seashore there. And then, then you read in John um, 21, I think, well, yeah, 21, Jesus asked him three times, lovest thou me, lovest thou me, lovest thou me? And Peter said, of course I love you, Jesus. And I think that grief was in his mind again, you know, that, um, and, and it grieved Peter, really grieved him. And that, that, that those feelings of bitterness, I'm not sure if they were still there or not. But, but he was really, you know, his desire was to serve Jesus. Judas, on the other hand, he was remorseful when he came to grips with what he had done. Remorse is when we regret our past deeds, while repentance is when we not only have remorse and regret, but we resolve with intent to change, to change what is wrong in our life. And I think the difference between Peter and Judas was, was their intent. Peter said, I will never deny you. And he, I think Peter really meant it. While Judas was, he was looking after himself, and he was intent on adding to his pocket. He was intent on what he could do for himself. And, you know, that he got caught, possibly, with remorse. I think most of you know how the story unfolded, how Judas, you know, he went to the temple, and he went to the officers, and he told them where they could find Jesus, and that, and that he himself would identify who Jesus was by greeting him with a kiss. You know, Ju Judas was still living that double life, um, even after Jesus told him to go do what thou doest quickly. You know, when we greet someone with a kiss, that, that's saying, you're my brother, I love you. I mean, is, isn't that what we do when we greet one another with a holy kiss in church services? You know, we're saying, you're my brother, I love you. And it had to hurt Jesus, I think, with him knowing Judas's heart. And Jesus said in response, Betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? I think Jesus was showing his hurt there. And I had to think, are we, am I guilty also of betraying the one that I really love? If so, I just pray that God would give us a spirit of repentance and that, he would re that we would resolve with intention to change our behavior and to, to do it today even, if we have that in us. So I'd like to pick up the story in John 13, uh, 21 to 27. Okay, this is at the Last Supper now. When Jesus, had thus, when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spoke. Now there was one leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of the disciples whom Jesus loved, and I assume that's John. And Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him, to John, that he should ask who it should be of whom he spoke. He then, lying on Jesus' breast, said unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. 
And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then saith Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. <clears throat> I'll stop there. It wasn't so obvious, I don't think, to the other disciples. Like I said earlier, you know, Judas, he was a, he was a trusted man. And to confuse matters more, the honored guest of a meal, he was often singled out by the dipping of bread in a bowl and the sop and putting it, you, know, you dip the bread in the bowl of food and then you gave it to him. And, and this, Jesus gave it to Judas, so he was signaling in a way that he was an honored man. And it was confusing, I think, to the disciples. But nonetheless, Jesus knew and, G and Judas knew because Judas then left to go and to betray, to betray Jesus. So now we come to a point in the story of Judas Iscariot that there could appear to be some discrepancies. Um, we have different writers of the New Testament here. In Matthew 27, verse 5, it says that he threw the silver money down in the temple that had been given to him and to betray Jesus because he didn't want it anymore and that he went and hung himself. In Acts 1, verse 18, it says that falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and his bowels gushed out. That's, that's where the discrepancy is a little bit. It's certainly not the same as someone who hung himself in Matthew, or in Acts 18, you know, your bowels aren't going to bust open if you're, if you're hanging on a tree. So in reading other commentary on this, the best explanation is that as Judas was hanging himself on the tree, on the limb, that the limb broke or else the girdle that he used became untied and he was then thrown heavily forward and hit the rocks that were below him and that split his body open. But either way, we know that Judas, he killed himself and that uh, Judas chose to alienate himself from Jesus and his desire for wealth and greed led him to depths that we think are un, just unreachable for us. But are they? We know that greed and desire for wealth still have a polarizing pole for us in our age today. And it's something that we have to deal with. There's one other thing that came about as a result of Judas's death. I guess you could say it's a good thing, possibly. But uh, it may come into play in our church's upcoming ordinations that we're planning to have in another month and then also in January. But that is uh, the process by which Judas Iscariot was replaced as one of the 12 disciples. Judas was replaced because now there's only 11 disciples. So turn with me to Acts Chapter 1, we'll read verses 15 to 26. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, and here it's clarifying, the number of names together were about 120, so there was 120 people there of people that were there. So maybe we could just leave that out. In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. 
for he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all of his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers in Jerusalem, insomuch that the field is called their proper, in their proper tongue, Asodama, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. So they're fulfilling this prophecy that was in Psalms. Wherefore of these men which have accompanied, wherefore of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the same day that he was taking up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed too Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. <clears throat> So the use of, that's what we refer to the lot, and the use of the lot was still very familiar to the Jews in their day. For example, if you think back to the time of Jesus' birth and the birth of John, we know that um, each year a priest was chosen by lot to go in and burn incense uh, before God, and Zacharias was one, was one that was chosen. You know the story of Zechariah, how he couldn't speak when he came out. But the use of the lot is one method to determine who the Lord wish, wishes to choose for a position. And oftentimes, you know, there's, there's several men that are qualified for a position, so the, the choice is left up to the, the Lord through the use of the, the lot. So it was still um, the growth of the church. The church was still very early. It, it was early in the church's life. Yet the apostles, they set forth two qualifications for the person to replace Judas Iscariot. So we, the, the first qualification is in verse 21. Uh, this, this person, he had to have been a part of the group following Jesus from the time of Jesus' baptism by John until the time of Jesus' ascension. So the man had to have been you know, with Jesus during that period of time. And the second qualification was that he had to have been a witness of Jesus' resurrection. <clears throat> so in our ordina ordinations that we have today, we have uh, similar, similar qualifications, only they have a a little bit more detail that, that's given in 1 Timothy 3 and also in Titus 1. They, they list the qualifications given for today's leaders, and I think it's already been mentioned that the, these qualifications are not just for, um, for the leaders, but, but they're also guides for all of us to follow and, and things to aspire for. So in this case here, we have two men that were chosen. The, you know, we didn't have the, not by the qualifications in 1 Timothy and Titus, but the two qualifications that were set out by the 11 other uh, apostles. 
So um, these two men were chosen, and I don't have any reason to believe that in today, if, if there's more that are chosen, if it's decided to have more men in the lot, you know, by those that are presiding over the ordination, if they decide that there's more men that are qualified, I think that's okay. It's not necessarily, I don't think it's held to two people that are, that are supposed to be in the lot. It could be more. And I had to wonder, could it possibly be that Barsabbath or Matthias that were in the lot would, is it possible that maybe they were one of the two men, or possibly both of them, were the two men that were walking the road to Emmaus after Jesus was crucified? And you know how this man showed up and he started asking them questions and, and teaching them. And it doesn't say who the two men were that were walking the road. And it's possible that they could have been Bersabbath or, or Matthias. But th these, those two men certainly were witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. But there's, there's two things I'd like for us to especially notice in verse 24. The first one is that God chose the man. I mean, they, there was two men that were chosen by the disciples that, that were qualified, but it was God that chose the man. And the second thing is that the lot was accompanied with prayer. It doesn't say how much prayer, how much time they spent in prayer, but I believe prayer along with fasting is essential. In Acts 14.23, there's another recording of a later ordination, and it says, And when they had ordained them elders, and notice it was plural, and when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So prayer and fasting, I believe, is, is very critical to the whole process of the ordination. And that's the reason why we here at Wellspring, you know, we've set up several days aside for prayer and fasting. And if you've missed those days, I would encourage you to still, you know, take time to just pray and fast and uh, seek the Lord's will as, as to who should be the future leaders here at Wellspring. As far as the lot, there's, um, there's different ideas on what was used for the lot traditionally. So I did a little bit of digging into that, reading some other books, uh, commentaries and books on that. And some say it was marked stones that, uh, there, there were stones that were marked and they were either I'm not sure, held in the hand or put in a, a cloth or a, a basket or something like that, and they were shook, and the stone, the first stone that fell out of the, the basket of the hands or the cloth was the one that was chosen. Others say it was rolled pieces of paper that were placed in two urns and uh, with the names of the candidates in one urn so you would have an urn over here, or like a, a clay pot, and a clay pot over here. And the name of the candidates were written on a piece of paper. They were rolled up identical, put it in this urn over here. Then in the other urn was uh, placed uh, the word apostle, or you could say pastor, deacon, or whatever, it would, whatever your office your, the lot is being used for. There would be one name with that written on it, and then the other papers were just blank, the same amount of papers as the candidates. And then the person uh, that was drawing the names, he would simultaneously, he would reach into both urns and pick out a, a paper out of each one 
and then open them up, and you might have, uh, in this case it was Matthias when it was opened up, and then when they opened up this paper, it said um, Apostle. And it could have worked the other way. Could you, if you would have reached in and you would have drawn out uh, Bersabbas or, and a blank piece of paper, then you would have known by default that the other person, or if it was just two by default, you would have known. But anyhow, that, they, that, that's, that's the way, traditionally, I guess, the lot was used from what I read. And there may be other ways to do it. And I, I think um, in our churches, there, there, there's several different ways that the lot is used. And I don't know whether the lot will be used um, in the coming months here or not. Um, but also, according to the Vines Dictionary and the Strong's Concordance, the word lot and lots used in verse 26 in Acts there, it, it denotes an object used in casting or drawing lots. So it was definitely something that was used when, when the lot was used. But whatever method, um, whatever method that we use, the men, are in the, the men that are in the lot are each qualified to do the job that's before them. And the Lord chooses between them. It's not a haphazard luck of the draw, as some would paint it, but the Lord chooses between these qualified men that are in the lot. In closing, uh, let's continue uh, to submit our desires and our wills to God and keep our hearts tuned to God so that we don't have that Judas Iscariot within us. And just thank you for your attention.